born in LCM. Today is June 25th, 2023. And the title for our message today is Intentional Unity. Somebody say intentional unity. See, in our application of recent sermons, we can visibly, LCM, see your confidence rising in your God-ordained design. Yes. Before you were formed in the womb, God declared your calling to be holy, set apart for his use. By the blood of the Lamb, he redeemed you, purchasing his design in you back to himself. LCM, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, instead cleansing each and every single one of us with the renewal of his word and rebirth by his spirit. Amen. Who's gaining confidence in their identity in this house? I am. Who's experiencing the renewal and rebirth of his word and spirit inside of you? Right here. Man, it's good to be in a church that takes his word and leading of the spirit seriously. So as you're walking in your redeemed design, the immediate effect is that God's glory begins to be displayed through your deeds. Like Aaron, you are priests called to stand between the living and the dead. Why? So that the plague of sin is stopped and many find the same deliverance and salvation just as you have. Your works done on earth are the acts of the priestly call that each of you have received. Say, I have a priestly call. I have a priestly call. Now you committed to it. We're good. When you're operating within your priestly call, you're operating underneath the cover of the heavenly priesthood of Jesus. That priesthood that's established in the order of Melchizedek. Therefore, your daily service in the kingdom, guess what? Guess what? It's no longer about you. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, yeah. It is no longer about you. It is about serving the Lord and serving others for their benefit and in his name. Man, let's jump right into the word. Where's your Bible? Show me your Bibles. Man, look at the sword of God's word in your hand. Let's go to Psalm 110. We're going to pick up in verse 3 in the ESV. Oh, yeah. Look at what it says. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power, in holy garments, from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. See, under the kingship of Jesus, man, just, just to, to say that flowing off my lips, the kingship of Jesus, the majesty of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the sovereignty of our king. You know what we get to do, LCM? We get to offer our lives to his priestly service. Amen. Arrayed in holy garments of righteous deeds that reflect his workmanship in us and through us. Amen. Oh, man, LCM, in light of Revelation chapter 17 and 19, realize that his return to earth is accompanied by his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Said, so that's, that's me. And without it, without us, it will be incomplete if he were to return riding solo on that white horse by himself. See, the purpose, LCM, of Jesus appearing in the flesh was to redeem mankind and then to return for a pure and spotless bride that he will put on display for all eternity. 
having his glory, LCM, yeah. rest upon the church of the living God, which is the crowning achievement as her high priest. Man, what an achievement, huh? That is why the Lord himself, Yahweh God, Yahweh Sabaot, states what he states in verse 4. Y'all ready to read verse 4? Yeah. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. That's good. Well, that's a good thing. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is what's stated about our king, and we know that the priestly order of Melchizedek is one that is eternal. An eternal priesthood that through Jesus we get to partake of. This is the same heavenly priesthood that the Lord had Moses build according to the pattern for and was carried out through his brother Aaron. You guys are very familiar with that whole process. And Moses is up on the mountain. He receives the commands of God. Those commands include instructions of how to build the tabernacle, how to give ordinances for his people to follow, and particularly how to establish a priesthood. Aren't you glad that God gives instructions of how to establish a priesthood? Yes. Instructions of how to order things in your own household? Well, when Jesus is returning for his pure and spotless bride, he is looking for those who have answered the call to his lordship and his priesthood. Have you, have you answered that? call to his priesthood and lordship. Yes. Will you remain faithful to it for the remainder of your days? Yes. Well, that sounds a lot like wedding language, doesn't it? it All right, let's continue on. Everybody turn to Exodus chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 1 and say intentional unity as you turn. Y'all there? Look at what it says. Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. You guys are familiar with Exodus 28. What we want to point out here is, although it is clear that Aaron and his sons were to serve the Lord as priest, the less obvious fact, say that with me, the less obvious fact is that the Lord is given the direction to Moses. This is why he's doing this. He is highlighting the necessary relationship between Moses and Aaron and the intentional unity of their God-given design. That's why he's doing this. See, God gave Moses direction for intentional unity by stating this phrase, Bring near to you Aaron, your brother. So, in the Peshaw, what does that mean? Bring near to you Aaron and your brother. There's a physical proximity that takes place, and it, it is what causes an intentional unity. See, we know it is God who sets us apart as holy for his service. Say, I agree. I agree. See, it is God's holiness that we share through, through the redemptive blood of Jesus. But how did God build a priesthood on earth that purely reflected the one in heaven? By instructing brothers, say brothers, brothers, to draw near to each other for the furthering of their call. Yeah. Do you guys want to win the, the world for Jesus? Yeah. 
This is how we win the world for Jesus. By drawing near to each other in intentional unity and furthering each other's call. So much so when you think about the imagery of Moses and Aaron. You can see it as far back as their time in Egypt with the, the ten plagues. You see this intentional unity that has taken place when God spoke to him in Exodus 3. Say, hey, this is what I want you to do. I have seen the oppression of my people. Now go. I'm sending you. He tells him to go find his brother Aaron. And together, working in intentional unity, they delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt. This is so key and important. Without Moses... You do not have the fulfillment of the call of his brother. Yeah. Do you guys see that? Yeah. What's also equally true, Chris Riasora, is without Aaron, Moses' leadership is incomplete and the nation is without a priesthood. You cannot have one without the other. It is, I need my brothers and my brothers need me. And this is what the Lord is doing in our body. My calling cannot be complete without Adam Korah. And his calling cannot be complete without me. This is how we do this. This is why we're working in unity. And this is why we're talking about an intentional unity. Isn't it good whenever someone is intentional in a righteous way? There's clear vision. There's clear perspective. Look, God's interaction with Moses in Exodus 3 was revealing the insecurities that Moses had. He started off in pride 40 years prior. Now he's at a place of pretty much despair and doesn't see anything valuable about himself. And God is rectifying that within Moses. But all that wasn't just for Moses alone. In fact, the completion of that, that story in Exodus 3 and 4 is that God had already sent Aaron on his way. And when he said to go find him, they were going to meet on the road that was leading to Sinai where Moses was. Well, we want to pick up with something about their unity between Moses and Aaron. Y'all remember last week we talked about Numbers uh, 16. We had Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, that whole rebellion thing that goes on. Well, number 17 just so happens to come after number 16. And so there's a further in the narrative of their interaction with each other. Let's all turn to Numbers chapter 17. We're going to take a look at their unified, intentional relationship with one another and how it was displayed for all of us to see. So verse 1 of number 17. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and get from them staffs, one for each father's house. From all their chiefs, according to their father's houses, 12 staffs. Write each man's name on his staff, and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. So let's, let's zoom out a little bit and just look at the beginning of verse 1. The consistency of Scripture in the Torah records the Lord speaking to Moses. Who, by the way, is the younger brother to Aaron. And in this passage, the Lord directs Moses to get one staff per tribe to settle this uh, tribal dispute that was instigated by Korah and his podness. Well, notice the specific instruction the Lord gave Moses in that to write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. Did everybody catch that? Well, guess who else was from the, the, the tribe of Levi? Moses was. So him being also from the tribe of Levi, 
and the fact that he has been instrumental in leading the way to deliver Israel out of Egypt through the desert to Mount Sinai, eventually to the edge of the promised land, God is getting us something very specific here. God was not interested in establishing an entitled and talented CEO of Israel. He didn't want a top dog of leadership for all to look to and aspire to be like but never could achieve. God was correcting the disunity caused by self-promotion and grumbling against leaders. Not a leader, leaders, plural. Who, which these leaders, none of them had sole authority or power. It was only in their partnership with one another that God would display his authority and power. This means that the Lord was ensuring that all of Israel could see that Moses was not out to exalt himself in the eyes of the people, but rather to exalt the call of his brother Aaron. Moses' obedience to do so set the example for us all in how we are to function in plural and in intentional unity. The main point is this. Moses chose to exalt his brother's call and God-ordained design above his own. And that scene in the very command to write Aaron's name on the same tribe that he belonged to. And by having Aaron's name on the staff of Levi, it would serve as a multi-generational reminder that no man can exalt himself. I mean, I want to make sure we all grasp this. You know, Moses could have had the entitlement, right, and opportunity to write his own name on that staff. But God made it clear. He just wanted to help his son out and say, write Aaron's name. Well, engage with that. What would that do inside of your heart if that were you? God spoke to you at the burning bush. God illuminated a vision of how you would be the deliverer of all God's people. You were the one that spent 40 years in the backside of a desert. You were the one that stepped up and began to confront Pharaoh himself. You had to put up with all the grumbling that emerged from God's people as you led them through trials and difficulties. And now there's a prominent judgment on rebellion that's happening inside the camp. And every bit of your heart is wanting to do what? I just want everybody to know how valuable I actually am. I know what my heart would do. My heart would want to write my name on that staff. Mine too. I want to make it known that this revelation and this call is from God to me. But what am I really doing? I'm feeding an insatiable beast. That insatiable beast is my own insecurity my own perception of self-given value. You know, you can never satisfy that beast. It'll devour everything you have and ask for more. And eventually it leads you to the footsteps and through the gates of hell. It'll rob you of everything good that God has put in your life. But when we turn on that, we begin to, to put our brother's name on the staff, put our brother's name on the revelation, the call, the gifting that God has given our entire tribe. Oh, man, miracles start to happen. What is it, Spence? We got miracles on the hotline? Yes, we got miracles on the hotline. So let's take this a little bit further. Abin Bull is going to share about 
the, some of the practicalities of this unity and how we relate to one another. Yeah. I, I love what Pastor Matthew is saying. Isn't Moses an example to us? Yeah. Right? If we, if we looked at this on, on paper, it would seem, in, in, in the natural, if we were looking through this through worldly lenses, it would be natural to put Moses' name on the staff. But he didn't. He gladly put Aaron's name on the staff. Not fighting for position, not jockeying for authority, not, not looking to how can I exalt my name in God's presence. There's something beautiful about this that in number 17, as we were studying together, the Lord highlighted to us. The reason that Moses can write Aaron's name on the staff and gladly do so is because Moses is secure in his own identity. He's secure in his God-given original identity. And as a result, he's secure before the Father, and as a result, he is secure in his relationship with his brother. That's why it's not an issue for him to write Aaron's name on the staff. See, when insecurity comes into, uh, and when insecurity plays a role in this, what Moses does for Aaron does not happen. But Moses was secure, and it caused there to be an intentional unity with his brother that produced life. See, LCM? We are full, this, this church is full of men and women that have undergone the life transformative power of the gospel. We've been talking about this God-given design, this God-ordained original design. And I'm seeing and we're seeing you walking in this. The reason that we can exalt each other, the reason I could call Red Phillips from the stage and say, hey man, you're a pastor in your home. God is going to bring about his faithfulness by bringing sons and daughters from the womb of your wife. The reason I can say that is because I'm secure in my identity, and I know Rhett is secure in his. See, this is what we do for each other. This is how we grow in this body. See, the Lord is addressing something here in number 17. He is addressing that's the, that disunity, and he is completely going after the intentional unity that he wants for Moses and Aaron, but not just them. He wants it for the entire tribe and the nation of Israel. So let's move on in verse 4 and check this out. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease for me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumbled against you. Did you guys catch that word there at the beginning of verse 4? It says deposit. God instructed Moses to deposit the staff. If you look up that Hebrew word, it's to set at rest in God's presence. He was to place the staff before the testimony. And only God was the one to bring about where his favor would lie. You guys are familiar with the tabernacle. Only one man can stand there. Look, this intentionality is the Lord looking to put an end and also to bring to finality the grumbling that arose from envy and selfish ambition. And this is why he's doing this. Remember, we said this intentional unity he is, he is working in Moses and Aaron, and they're displaying to the nation of Israel is so that the entire nation can walk in their consecrated function. This wasn't, this wasn't hey, let's exalt Moses and Aaron, and nobody can ever achieve this. No, no, no. He was using them as an example to say, all of you have to walk in this. All of you have to work this intentional unity. This is your consecrated function because all tribes are needed. The Lord didn't just pick one tribe and pull them out of Egypt. 
He got all the tribes, all his people, because they are needed and they need each other. All tribes are needed. But you cannot, but they could not seek to exalt themselves ab- above one another. Every family in this church, LCM, is needed. Amen. First Corinthians 12 makes that abundantly clear. There's not a single person in, this, in, in the seats in this room that is indispensable. Every single one of us are absolutely needed. And we, we have to continue to cultivate that. And it has to be intentional. So when we're talking about intentional unity, it's, it's not because we have not been unified. I've been in LCM since 2016, and I've only seen the unity in this church increase year after year after year after year. And guess what? The Lord is calling us higher. He's calling us higher to do it all the more because the nations are at stake. Let's pick up in verse 6. Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and all their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each chief, according to their father's houses, 12 staffs. And the staff of Aaron was among their staffs. And Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. So here we see clearly the supernatural sign of God's favor. Aaron's staff, it sprouted, budded, brought forth life-giving fruitfulness. But was this by Aaron's doing? He was a talented speaker, and therefore that's why God did it. No. This was, oh, I got it, I got it. Moses exerted force upon the Lord, and that's why God showed his favor. No. It was done by the hand of God. God showed his favor to Levi through the intentional unity displayed in Moses exalting the call of his brother above his own. You ever considered that? Not only was it by God's consecrated design in these men, but his favor rested upon their unity, exalting one above themselves. Man, where's God's favor lie in in our our lives? Where's God's priesthood come to life and in a supernatural way displaying his favor? So whenever you begin to lay down your life, your call, your exaltation, and you lift up the one next to you, you begin to write their name on the staff and put it before the presence of God. Well, this is always the byproduct of intentional unity. When we draw near to our brothers and seek out what is in their best interest, how to benefit them and not ourselves, the Lord always brings forth supernatural life out of that kind of unity. So we got to ask, who in this house desires to see the supernatural and miraculous in our midst? I do. Do you want to see new supernatural signs? Yes. Do you want to receive supernatural signs? Yes. Then you must see that your priestly duty begins with having vision for your brother's calling and carving their name into the staff, being a witness to their God-ordained function sprouting, emerging from what the natural eyes cannot see, celebrating the budding of their call, blossoming into maturity, and bearing fruit for the kingdom. This brings a passage to mind. Hang out where you are there in, in Numbers. Ephesians 2.8 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. faith. If that is you, raise your hand. Okay, 99%. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
not a result of work so that no, no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. What pronoun is used in that statement of that verse? We. we. It's good to have right use of pronouns. We are his workmanship, not I, we. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, I think the clear, plain understanding of this is that I myself doing good works is not actually good works. I myself trying to achieve God's works prepared in advance is not going to actually accomplish them. But the minute I elevate my brother's call and function and together we do it, now we can see the kingdom of God displayed on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, everybody sitting here is here today because of a display of unity among the brotherhood and with God. God's supernatural hand led you to this seat right here this morning. And so we know for certain this word is explicitly for you. That includes those that are uh, normally in this house and family and those who are visitors. Oh, it's not a trap, it's a treasure. You get the opportunity to see on display what real Christianity, what real brotherhood looks like. Oh, these aren't just mere words that were floating across the screen. We have the deeds to display that we actually lay down our lives for one another. I'll just take a trip with us to Matamoros, Mexico every now and then and see some AK-47s come out and you'll know that our brotherhood's real. I just love what Pastor Matt said. Intentional unity is not a trap, it's a treasure. Do you guys treasure one of each other in this body? We know that you do. We can see it when households are, are, are walking in greater levels of transparency with one another. We can see it when a man like Keith Phillips is, is walking and seeking out what is in the best interest of his brothers. And it's not just Keith. If I took time to call out everybody's name, we'll never finish the sermon. But the point is, look at what the Lord is doing in our midst. It is a treasure to walk in greater levels of intentional unity. See, we're also going to put up another scripture. It's Philippians chapter 2 on the screen. Don't worry about turning there. Look at what it says in verse 3 in the NIV. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's good. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of your brothers or to others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is who we are, LCM. We're men and women looking, eagerly seeking. How can we support our... It's 1 Samuel 14. It is, it is the armor bearer. It's, it's Jonathan saying, hey, man, I believe the Lord is calling us to take this land. I believe the Lord is calling us to go after the enemy. And the armor bearer is now like, wait, what about me? Where's the glory for myself? No, he says, whatever you have in mind, I am with you, heart and soul. There's zero selfish ambition inside of him. And we've seen this here at OCM. I've seen it in, in Spencer McLean when he walks up to brothers, not just brothers, when he's come to me and said, Abimbola, how can I support you? How can I build you up? How can I pray for you? What's going on in your home? How are your kids? Th this is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. 
And to our guests in the room, this is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. It's an intentional unity that is a treasure from God where God pours out his favor upon us. Still picking up in number 17. Look at verse 9. It says, Then Moses brought out all the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel. And they looked, and each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels, that you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. See, Moses was the one to bring in the staffs, and Moses was the same person to bring out the staffs as well. See, God displayed by picking Aaron, he displayed to the entire nation with Aaron's name. Let me say it again. God displayed his choice to the entire nation by picking the staff with Aaron's name on it. And he didn't didn't say, hey, okay, now that I've displayed it to you guys, Moses hand the staff back to Aaron. No, he said, take that staff, and he commanded Moses to put the staff with Aaron's name on it before or next to the testimony. That staff served as a sign to the people and will later serve as a sign to one man, LCM, Aaron. What is he again? Who's Aaron again? He's the high priest. How many people can go into the Holy of Holies? One person. Aaron would walk into the Holy of Holies, and he would see the staff with his name on it. Yeah, it is a good word. Listen, as a man of God, the number one thing that is attacked more than anything else is your God-given identity. It is the calling of God over your life. It is the things that he's set and he's ordained for you like Ephesians says. That's the number one thing that's attacked. And when Aaron would go into the Holy of Holies, he would be constantly reminded that God chose him, that God consecrated his call. And more importantly, LCM, God did it. Through his brother Moses. See, Aaron didn't say, hey, I'm going I'm to volunteer my name on the staff. And then, oh, the Lord picked me, so I'm going to place it there. See, Aaron could not renegotiate if he did this for himself. But every time he entered the Holy of Holies, he would remember that God chose him, consecrated him, God appointed him, inscribed upon him holy to the Lord. And he did it through his brother Moses. How incredible is this? Every time that Aaron would enter the Holy of Holies and see the, his name on that staff, he would always remember that his relationship with Moses is absolutely inseparable. Yes. LCM, that, that's what intentional unity looks like. Aaron would see this as a supernatural sign of his calling. And he would see the sign, the staff, and always remember his brother. Moses is not standing there with him, but he will always have Moses in mind as he performed his priestly duties. Man, how does that relate to us in this room? See, we're seeing men walk in greater revelation of your God-ordained design. Just ask yourself a question, though. How did you get this revelation? Let me ask myself that question. Abimbola, how did you get this revelation? Did I disappear for six months, Pastor Matt? Just left my wife and kids, went to the Himalayan mountains, and then got my God-ordained call and then showed up later? Oh, hell no. No, not at all. So think about your calling. Think about your identity. Think about your mezuzahs. 
Wasn't it pastors and brothers speaking life into you, breathing life into you? Like, like Ezekiel chapter 37, prophesying life into dry areas and causing you to stand. Men who fought and stood alongside you, being intentional in their unity with you so that your calling would be exalted. So knowing that. Every time you walk in your mezuzah, every time you walk in your function, every time you walk in your God-ordained design, remember it's absolutely inseparable to the man of God who helped you get that revelation. I stand here as a man on this stage knowing that God has done a supernatural transformative work inside of me. And I can look to the men around me and say, my life, my calling, my design is absolutely inseparable just like Moses and Aaron. Aaron could never look at Moses the same way again. It calls life to be produced. It's almost like we're living in Psalm 133. We're going to go there. I want you guys to see this in your Bible. Everything we've been talking about is aiming at this, this point here, and it's going, to be, it's going to show itself in Psalm 133. Say intentional unity as you're turning to Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. Yeah, by the way, I'm not going to ask anybody to say I'm precious this morning. Especially you, Hayes. We have a t-shirt coming for you. I'm precious. Running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron. Running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So this psalm is being written by David. Do you hear the multi-generational impact that the intentional unity has had over the course of time for Israel's history? David is writing this and immediately he is paralleling it to the visible sign of the priesthood that was established in Israel. So David was a man who also walked in intentional unity. And he walked intentional unity with his brothers, with the nation, but particularly he walked in an intentional unity with a man named Samuel. What did Samuel do for David? Anointed him as king. In the same manner, Daniel, uh, David did not anoint himself king. He was just being obedient to the very next supernatural task that God put in front of him. And he knew that that task would be incomplete, meaning his call, without Samuel elevating the call of David. David compares the unity that is found between brothers to this oil, this precious oil. A precious oil that is the result of the unity that brothers have and must have among each other. Man, Oil makes everything better, right? Yeah. Yeah. Particularly precious oil that comes from, from the Lord. I mean, you can make tortillas. You can make cakes. You can drive your car. Oil is pretty essential for that, right? Well, how much more is it essential in our relationships with one another? It is like that oil being poured upon Aaron's head and the inference that he is making it is like that relationship between Moses and Aaron now when you think about that oil being poured on Aaron's head 
Is that Aaron reaching up into the heavens with a Holy Ghost bucket, capturing all that anointing oil and going, I'm about to anoint myself. Boop. It is the result of his brother Moses exalting Aaron's call above his own. Seeing that imagery that's there. When we begin to have this unity, it causes you to see one another and honor one another in a holy, in a sacred, and in an anointed fashion. Particularly when we say this phrase about being anointed, it's not just being smeared or lathered with oil. It is a divine enablement to do what you yourself cannot do alone. This is incredible. We see most, it, it, this, this is so mind-blowing that... 500 years after Moses and Aaron were alive, David is still talking about this intentional unity that has so much impacted his life, and now we have it as an example for us in Scripture. Church, when we elevate, champion, and sacrifice to put our brother's calling first, it produces life-given intentional unity. It is a unity, just like in Psalm 133, it's a unity that is compared to the life-giving dew of Hermon that refreshes the whole land of Israel. Anybody, anybody that's ever been to the nation of Israel, and you, you're familiar with Mount Hermon, the Israelites would see, if they saw snow on the caps of Mount Hermon, they would immediately know that, that those snow caps would eventually melt, and water would water the entire land. And that is the imagery that, Moses, that, that David, rather, is trying to evoke here about the intentional unity that is ours. It is life-giving water that flows from the throne room of God. See, this oil that we were talking about, we want you guys to get a better picture of this. So we're going to go to Exodus chapter 30. And when we get there, we're going to pick up in verse 25, and we're reading this from the ESV. Look at what it says. And you shall make of these a sacred anointed oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it, you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy and whatever touches them will become holy. The oil of unity... <clears throat> is a sacred blend decreed by the Father, fashioned by the Son, and poured out by the Spirit of God. So this intentional unity with the Lord, LCM, is to be smeared on all things in the sanctuary. Did you notice this? As God has given Moses the, the instructions, he's not saying just anoint a piece of furniture. It's to, be, it's to smear all the furnishings within the tabernacle, the holy place, with this oil. See, in being made most holy by the oil, whatever comes in contact with the articles of the tent of meeting also would become holy. So think about this, LCM. Your holy intentional unity with one another and with the Lord brings life-given transformation to every single person that comes in contact with you. Earlier was said about Moses and Aaron. As they're working this in their relationship, God's aim was to use them as an example to the rest of the nation. That oil that is, full, is, is pressed and, and, and made through our unity 
when we come in contact with the rest of the world, they can't help but to see what God is doing inside of us, and they want to partake in that. So much so that John 13, Jesus says this plainly to his own disciples. Look, in John 13, we'll put this up on the screen. John 13. Well, before we read that, how many of you guys have shared the gospel with someone outside these four walls? Yeah. How many times have you been told, man, everything you're saying is great, it's fantastic. Where's your church again? Oh, Belknap. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. I've been told that many, many times, right? Decent percentage of how many of those actually showed up? One. One person or one percent? One person. One per person sent. Okay. So those of you who are guests uh, with us this morning, is an absolute treasure that you actually made it through those doors. Now, in those encounters, when you're sharing the gospel, you're displaying your unity with the living God. And it is uh, a radiant, life-giving spring that inspires somebody to inquire further. But isn't it usually whenever someone steps in here or at a home meeting or a gathering at your house where there's other brothers and sisters, that then they get a real glimpse of the genuineness of your faith, the sincerity of the doctrine that has transformed your own lives. And everyone that walks through here, they are overwhelmed at the amount of love that we have for one another. And it's not just verbalized love. It is actionable, sacrificial. And it's, it's actually tangible whenever you walk through these doors. Well, we're going to read from John 13, 34, or starting in, yeah, 34 to 35 to get a really clear picture of this. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, check this out. It says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this. Say by this. By this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. LCM, our love for one another is a visible display of the unity that comes from the sacred anointed oil fashioned by God. It is God's recipe, LCM. Y'all know that God has a recipe? It's a beautiful, masterful Incredible recipe. And guess what? It cannot be altered. See, when his recipe for unity is changed, the result is death. But we don't want that LCM. No, we want life. Right? Because when it is followed, when God's recipe, his pattern is followed, it it, when it is followed, it precisely produces life changing power, supernatural life comes out of a result of following this intentional unity, this yeah. precious oil that the Lord has given us. So when we're reading here in Exodus 30, this is what the Lord is speaking to, to, to Moses. Now check this out in verse, in, uh, ah, no, not check this out in verse, in the next verse. This intentional unity that the Lord gives us produces supernatural life. Earlier we said it is God's recipe. This oil is not something that can be manufactured by man. And it shows up in our love for one another as a testimony of his transformative work in our very lives. There's an intentionality that is put on display to make other men holy as we have been made holy. 
It cannot end with us. It starts with us, but it doesn't end with us. We are called to elevate other men. We're called to anoint other men. We're called to make other men better and to further their call. You know what? I have a challenge for you, church. There is one man in this room who is a clear, visible display of discipleship because of his love for one another. Are you, are you ready to accept this challenge? Just take a look over at Valentine right there. Valentine is a man that loves people with all of his heart, sacrificially laying down his life. Our brother from the Arising Church is setting the bar high for us all. So church, do you accept this challenge? Yes. We're going to rise to the level of love that Valentine has. It's a great name that fits too. What Valentine displays is the very thing that we see at work between the relationship of Moses and Aaron. That it is Moses receiving the instruction about this sacred anointing oil, and it is for the, all the articles of the tabernacle, the, the, the tent of testimony, but more importantly, for the priesthood. And that that interrelationship between Moses and Aaron is facilitating the very things needed for the people to engage with God's presence. So now that we've seen the model of intentional unity displayed by Moses and Aaron, we want to take some, some time to make this clear through practical examples. Do you need some practical examples? I need some practical examples. I do, too. These practical examples flow from the life of a man named Paul and his experience in building relationships that reflect God's heavenly pattern. You know where we're going next, saints? We're going to a book called Romans, chapter 12. Verse 10. Y'all there in Romans 12? Check this out. ESV. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Somebody say outdo. Man, this is a call to action. A love for our brothers that is demonstrated by our deeds and our works towards them. We are called to outdo one another in showing honor. You guys, you guys know what that word honor is? You've heard it before. It's teammate. Teammate, right? It's the fixed value that your brother has in God's eyes, but it's also the fixed value that your brother has in your eyes, right? So what does this practice, what does this look like to practically outdo your brother in showing honor? You guys want to hear this? Look at this. It says, valuing when they are, valuing who they are, to the extent that you are more concerned about writing their name upon the revelation you received rather than your own. Remember, Pastor Matthew said this earlier. God used Moses in extraordinary ways in bringing the nation of Israel out. And Moses wrote Aaron's name down. This is what it looks like practically. When you get a revelation from God, like John 3, 27, a man can receive nothing except what has been given him from heaven. And your entire goal is to give it to your brother and inscribe his name upon that staff. An example of this is giving giving a word to a member in this body for for the purpose that it defines who they are. 
no glory to yourself, for the purpose that it magnifies your calling. And from that point on, it now defines, it is the definition of how they function in the body. No different than the apostles looking at Joseph, who they named Barnabas, son of encouragement. And can you guys see through the excellent foundation studies we've been getting that Barnabas' life is a life of encouragement? Yeah. It is the definition of Bar it's the definition of his life. This is what it looks like to practically outdo one another. It's when you're seeing the fixed value of your brother and it requires you to invest time and prayer for them. See, I, I, I can pray, right? But to pray, not, Lord, give me, give me, give me, my name is Abimbola. No, no, no. It's, it's praying. It's praying with your brother's fixed value in mind that it requires you to travail in prayer. And Paul writes that about brothers in the scriptures. He writes and said, this brother here is travailing in prayer for you guys to be mature, to be complete, to do everything that God prepared in advance for you to do. It's also spending time with them and working alongside them in intentional unity. This is what we're getting at, LCM. And we're, we're saying this because we're increasing in this. We've seen you guys doing this. We're seeing you guys working to outdo one another. And now we're just looking at some practical steps of how to do it better. Amen. You know, that, that's a good point about Barnabas. Is that no one in Jerusalem stood up and took credit for giving him that name. They gave it to him, and it stuck. It became the defining character of who he was. Oh, this is a, too good of a point to pass up. Outdoing one another in teammate, in value, showing teammate, means that you spend the time necessary to invest in your brother's purpose. And tell you what, what can be a default that is a contaminant to that oil of unity is when you spend more time about how your call needs to grow and become edified than theirs. The minute you begin to turn and you make it about their call being edified, their call coming to light in the surface for all to be benefited by, God will supernaturally give you what you need through your brothers to you. Just like what you're giving to them. The whole point is that the body is building itself up in love. There's mutual edification happening. And no one of us can be separate from the body. Otherwise, that makes you a dead appendage to the body of Christ. But instead, we are connected. We all belong to one another. But more importantly, we are designed to nourish, equip, and edify one another. So verse 11 continues with three very practical points. And I'm going to parenthetically insert some directive in each one of these. Do not be slothful in zeal for them. Be fervent in spirit for them. Serve the Lord for them. See how that just turns everything around from you being you focused to being your brother's focus? Well, do not be slothful in zeal for them. It looks like remembering what your brother shared with you out of their lives and taking the time to follow up with them later on in the week about it. How are you doing, Abimbola? Well, brother, having some trouble. Oh, that, that's great. Hey, how are you doing, brother? Actually being invested in their well-being and showing the effort afterwards to, to have concern 
and aid and support about it. And when you're following up with them later on in the week, making sure that it, you are coming to the table with something that's edifying that will help them. It shows that you are zealous for their good. This is how we increase our intentional unity as brothers. What about being fervent in spirit for them? This means not holding back a revelation you have received from the word for your brother. Meaning that not waiting for the perfect time to deliver it, but instead seeing the need of your brother for it and giving it in that moment. Amen. You know what? There's something unique about this word fervent. The only other time this Greek word is used in the Newer Testament is to describe a man named Apollos. And for those of you going through our, accent, our, our foundation study, it is used in Acts 18, verse 25, when Apollos is striking up conversations and imparting to his Jewish brothers the revelation of who Jesus is. It says he, he was fervent in spirit, in speaking and teaching who Jesus was accurately. Well, the last one, serve the Lord for them. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, I'm going to read it to you. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. What this looks like practically is joyfully serving others at your own expense of time, energy, and possessions. Not giving to the Lord or to your brothers what cost you nothing. As priests, your sacrificial service to one another is service unto the Lord. You are ministering to his body by edifying each other with deeds that are done in humility. So this looks like very uh, apparent and not so apparent things that happen in our body, in our family. We have secret service. It's been a part of who we are since day one. And it is our joy to serve the Lord by serving each other in that, that means. How can this not include children's church moves? Right, Peter? Yeah. Yes. Building projects. Can I get an amen, Charlie? Amen to tile work. Oh, yeah. But more importantly, elevating the call of your brothers by seeking to support the completion of their task. See, we can get so focused on the need that we have for help to complete our task. But now turning that outwards, what can I do to serve you, brother? What can I do to serve your vision? And trust me, God will multiply your efforts about your own task by bringing you brothers to help you with them. This is excellent. And we're reading from Romans chapter 12. But can you guys see in the life of the Apostle Paul? That he's writing books dedicated to other men. Yeah. Like Timothy, First and Second Timothy, he's writing things like, hey, don't, don't just uh, drink water, drink a little bit of wine, drink a little wine for your stomach. Does that show care and concern? Yeah. Yes, he, he, he's, he cares for Timothy. This is what it looks like to practically walk these things out. Now look at verse 12 of Romans, of Romans chapter 12. It says, Rejoice in hope for myself. No, 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 no. no. With them. Be patient in tribulation with them. Be constant in prayer for your brothers. This is the heart that Paul's going after. LCM, this is what intentional unity looks like. It is the heavenly pattern that reflects the intentionality of our great king. This is what he did through Moses and Aaron. 
and it produced life for the rest of the nation of Israel. So it is the same for us, us LCM. When we cultivate intentional unity amongst each other, it will always result in the supernatural life that comes from our brothers, from our brother and great high priest, Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that one more time. When we cultivate in this body intentional unity amongst each other, it always results in a supernatural life that comes from our brother and great high priest, Jesus Christ. Check this out in John, in John chapter 1 and pick it up in verse 4. Say intentional unity as you're there. In him was life. And the light, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you have a supernatural life right now? Did it just happen as a means of coincidence? You get formed by the nebula and gases in space. The, the collision of you know, gamma rays and particles nope. is intentional. God intentionally sought you out. He intentionally brought you to a point where you could feel the effects of your own sin and the weight of death upon you. He did that so that he could display the superiority of his life and his light in you and for you. The Lord doesn't bring you to face your sin and to the edge of death just to condemn you to be separated from him for eternity. He brings you to that point to illuminate his desired unity with you. And what do you do with that unity? You seek to establish it with other brothers. And that together, there's work to be done with it. So when you think about the supernatural life you have received and are receiving from Jesus, and the light that radiates from your own unity with him, that oil of unity that flows from him, the head of all things, down his robe of righteousness onto your body, soul, and spirit, Realize that he chose you to join him in his priesthood and provides a supernatural sign of his transformational power in you. Realize that your life is a living example right now of what was dead that has now sprouted and come to life. What was fruitless and has budded, blossomed, and produced supernatural fruit for the people of God. That's what your life is right now, saints. That's something to hold your heads high about and celebrate that God has a victorious sign inside of you of his kingship. No, John states that the life of our king is the light of men. No other recipe can produce the same light that reflects the face of the father. That reflection to all of mankind. And he chose you to be the reflection of who he is on earth. The light and life that he gives, you know what it does? It pierces through the darkness of men's souls. It destroys the works of the devil. The darkness of sinful deeds or archonic attacks cannot overcome his light that shines from you to others. So therefore, there's an action that we must have. Look at verse 6. 
It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. LCM, John the baptizer was handpicked by God to be a witness of the supernatural staff of Jesus' priesthood on earth. The grumbling, the complaining against God would be put to an end and the radiant display of Messiah would give all hope in salvation for their own sinful ailments. See, LCM, it was for the righteous sake. It was for righteousness sake that God chose John to baptize Jesus. It was the intentional unity of the Father to partner John's calling with Jesus' fulfillment of the ages. And like Moses, John came onto the scene first, preached the baptism of repentance first, but pointed to his brother who would later baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is why, it's because John the baptizer knew who he was. He was securing his identity and it was his greatest joy to elevate, the, to elevate Jesus and to reveal the, him to the people. He would, they would ask him questions like, are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm not him. I'm, a, I'm, I'm not him, and it's my joy to reveal him. See, John exalted the call of his brother by saying, whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. He goes on to say things like, I must decrease, and he must increase. Yeah. Jesus did the same thing for John by stating what he states in Matthew 11. But before I read it, do you guys see the relationship that both John and Jesus had? Each man was looking to inscribe their name, the name of their brother upon the staff. John is like, the entire reason I was born is to reveal him to the nation of Israel. LCM, the reason that we have the callings that we have, the reason that God has given the revelation that he's given you is for your brother to go further. It's for your brother to be revealed. It is for your brother to hit the target that God is aiming him for. And you see Jesus doing the same for John. Look at what it says in Matthew 11 on the screen. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. You, you guys see the love that both these men have for each other? Else we've got to ask a question because we're all familiar with this story. Is this what your unity looks like in this body right now? Are you working to elevate the call of your brothers to your left and to your right as higher than your own? Elsim, are you rightly using your newfound confidence in your identity to serve the vision, call, direction of your brothers? And we have all the scriptural examples to show us how to do this. Elsim, does your relationship with each other look like Moses and Aaron? Writing your brother's name on the supernatural staff instead of your own. And dwelling in the intentional unity that pours onto the head of others the anointing oil in your hands. Everything that's been given to us is for others. The oil of unity is what lights the lamp of God's presence in our midst. And it serves as a beacon to all who dwell in darkness to be brought back to life. God picked his nation Israel 
He transformed the nation Israel so that the entire world may experience the exact same thing. And it's the same for us. He's, bringing, he's brought about transformation inside of us so that our brothers can be benefited, so that our brothers can be exalted, so that our brothers can have their name inscribed upon that supernatural staff. And it is a message that goes out to the rest of the world. You guys are seeing the necessity of intentional unity. In fact, you're living in right now the benefits of intentional unity between each other. I want to remind you that you are a supernatural sign. Number one, you're born again. You can't do that by yourself. Number two, you're getting greater clarity and confidence about your identity and your call. And, but here's the important part. You're seeing the need of each other's call greater than your own. Turn with us to our last passage in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Intentional unity as you turn. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5.16 was the very first scripture I ever memorized as a new believer. And it has been concrete uh, part of my faith. And that means that there's a visible display of deeds that show a unity with the Father. But can I admit something to you this morning? Well, if you said no, I'm going to do it anyway. I have misread this passage for decades. I misunderstood it altogether, and I'll tell you exactly why. Based on two letters. M and E. What does that spell? Me. Me. I made it all about moi. About me. Let your your light shine before men that may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, just a, a simple pausing at the entire biblical narrative that nothing is accomplished through just an individual, not even delivering God's people out of Israel into the, uh, out of Egypt into the promised land. You look at the you in each one of these verses and the you is not singular. The you is plural. How do we say the plural version of you down here in Texas? How do they say it in Shawtown? Now, that's Philadelphia. That, that's, that's not there. It's you guys, right? So for the sake of the fact that our feet are standing in the soil of Texas, we're going to use y'all. So Matthew 5.14 is going to read like this in the Texas edified version, the TEV. Y'all are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let y'all's light shine before others so they may see y'all's good works and give glory to y'all's Father who is in heaven. 
Doesn't that bring new life to this entire passage? Yes. It takes the me out of the category and actually accomplishes plural unity of doing God's work on earth. It is only an intentional unity with one another that you are the light of the world. That's how clear that passage is. You think you're going to be an LED flashlight for Jesus by yourself? You'll be swallowed by the darkness is what will happen. Made in China. It's impossible to be a light unto the world, a city on a hill, the glory of God's lampstand radiating to all men just by yourself. It's only done with the bonds of brotherhood and unity that we have with each other. So when we say letting y'all's light shine, it's the righteous deeds accomplished in unity with your brothers, but more importantly, you supporting the call of your brothers. Stand to your feet. You know, when we really engage God's word and ask it to pierce our own hearts, we get we get far below just the, the numbing knowledge that we already have of that scripture. And we get to see the real purpose of why God made us and put us on earth and particularly put us in the same family of believers. We belong to a one association of churches, brother churches, by the way. That all are seeking to elevate the call of the other. But here's where we stand today as a family. We must take an honest assessment. An honest assessment of what has crept into the oil of our unity. That is selfish ambition, envy, self-exaltation, fear, pride. And it's... It's causing that flame to burn in an impure fashion on the lampstand of God. There's more smoke than it is fire. What needs to be purified in your relationship with one another? When we open up the altar, there will be that time for that. But here's the other side of it. If you're standing out there and you're right with God, your unity is pure. And come and help your brothers down here. And if everybody ends up here, you know what's going to happen? You're all going to pray for each other. Start with the teams that God has bonded you in. The households that are, are bonded together or live in proximity to each other. Put forth the effort to elevate your brother's call above your own. Because the whole point of coming down here to the altar is to remove the impurities so that you can rise up and go elevate your brothers. It's not for groveling, not for weeping, not for mourning. It's for rising in the confidence of your identity to go help your brothers. So as we pray, make your way to the altar. Father, we thank you for your word and your spirit working on our own hearts. Lord, that you would purify our hearts with your spirit and truth. 
that we may serve you and serve the vision of our brothers. Let your name be glorified and edified in our relationships with you and with each other. And Lord, let us be the light of the world as you shine through us. Be glorified this morning in your name, Jesus. Amen.